Happy Resurrection Day, everybody. Yeah. Praise God. Yeah. Um, welcome to Calvary Chapel. If this is your first time here, uh, we welcome you. And uh, if it's, you're, you're coming home, you're coming back, uh, we love you. Welcome home. And uh, we're excited to spend just one of the most special days of our year as Christians celebrating that Jesus isn't dead, he's alive. Amen. Uh, two weeks ago tomorrow, uh, I traveled home from a trip in Israel, from Israel, and uh, it was my fourth time there, and I was kind of called on an emergency trip over there to teach for a friend of mine who uh, was leading 60 people. He lost his voice and uh, he needed me to come teach for him. Uh, I really struggled with that. I didn't want to leave you guys. Like really, there was like some momentum going on here. And so I just felt like the Lord just say, hey, give your church a gift by just making short video clips everywhere you go of the places in Israel. And so everywhere I went, I just very intentionally made two, three minute videos of each place in Israel that we visit. And I did it for you guys. And uh, Today I'm going to share with you uh, three different little crude and rude uh, video clips, nothing professional about it, of uh, the garden tomb uh, where it's believed Jesus rose from the dead and it is about a, a good football player's throw, uh, football throw away from Golgotha where Jesus was crucified. And so I'm going to share those videos with you guys before we get into the word. We're just wrapping up a five-day fast as a church. During this Passion Week, we've been crying out uh, just cries of worship to the Lord, giving him adoration and praise due to his name. We've been confessing our sin and bringing ourselves into his light, letting him reveal just impurities within us. And as we've seen them, we've repented. We've cried out for awakenings and revival within our church and within our families, our men, our women, our marriages, our children, our youth, our community of Prineville. We spent Thursday crying out for this church, its leadership, its vision, its direction, its calling to send people out. And we've remembered the cross on Good Friday, spending time fasting and praying in remembrance of what he did on the cross there at Golgotha 2,000 years ago. And we've been fasting and praying for this day, and if you've been going here very long, you know I love Resurrection Sunday. You know I love Easter. You know, man, I just spend hours just studying and looking into the evidence of Jesus rising from the dead. It's been said that Jesus' resurrection is the best proved fact in all of history. And that if you were to examine the evidence, just as a fair inquirer, you would find it to be true that Jesus rose from the dead. Many men... Men who were brought up under well-known atheists, atheists and skeptics they have gone out to dispel the myth of the resurrection. And in their research, they actually have come to the exact opposite conclusions, coming to find that Jesus actually did rise from the dead. And you know, Jesus staked all of his claims of being absolute deity and truth on that one thing that he would rise from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus is really the issue for Christians. 
You can go to the bank on this issue. You can cash in your chips, or go all in, rather, uh, that, that Jesus rose from the dead. And if he didn't, Paul the Apostle tells us, then we Christians were to be pitied. We'll be the first to admit it. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then shame on us. And we are just really wasting our life. C.S. Lewis said that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then he's got to be a liar. Or he's got to be a lunatic. Or, Lewis said, he must be Lord and must have really risen from the dead. Now, I've spent so much time preaching that over the last years, and, and as fasting this week went on and praying over today, I just really was feeling the Lord saying, I've got a different direction, rather than just evidence after evidence after evidence and proving it to the people. Even up until last night, about 11 o'clock last night, I was just on my face in my basement, and I just did not have an easiness about going that direction with today. And just at the bottom of my heart, I just felt like I just wanted to bring you the purity of God's word. Just wanted to bring you the purity of God's word and lay it at your feet. And so we're going to do something special today. We're going to actually read what are called the synoptic gospels, which mean they are very similar as you read them. And those are primarily Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But we're also going to read John's account of the resurrection because it's actually very similar as well. And then we're going to just look at 14 verses in Acts that show us just another part of the resurrection story. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do this morning, you can turn to Matthew chapter 27. If you don't have a Bible, raise up your hand, we'll get one to you. It's a special day because we have the kids in with us, pre-K. Raise those hands up high. We got guys handing Bibles out. We've got pre-K here. And so all of you kids, I want you reading along with me. This isn't just a message for the adults. This is a message for you kids as well. And as we read through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, I want you kids to kind of help your parents find the same things in each gospel, and I want you to find the different things. Like maybe as, as we're reading along, you kids might go, hey, Matthew didn't say this, and you can just whisper in your parents' ear, hey. It says here the angel was sitting on the stone. Okay? Because there's a few little differences or additions. Or if you see something different, whisper it into your parents' ear. Pay attention with us. It's going to be a lot of reading, but there at 11.30 last night, I spent the, the hour reading through each account, just really soaking it in, finding it to be so special, having just been in the garden tomb, you can almost, you know, and now you've seen the video, you can almost just imagine it. And so imagine it with me. Now when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, Matthew twenty-seven fifty-seven, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. 
This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, and say to the people, He is risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go your way, make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb and behold, there was a great earthquake For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said." Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell the disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! For they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came to the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure." So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Let's look at Mark's gospel. Mark chapter 15, verse 42, beginning again on the day of preparation where they removed Jesus from the cross and buried him in the tomb. Mark 15, 42. Now when evening had come, because it was the preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, 
Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate marveled that he was already dead, and summoning the centurions, he asked him if he'd been dead for some time. So when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Then he bought fine linen, took him down, and wrapped him in the linen, and he laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of the rock and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph observed where he was laid. Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him, as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he'd cast seven demons. She went and told those who'd been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. After that, he appeared in another form uh, to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through them, through accompanying signs. Amen. Luke's Gospel Chapter 23, verse 50. Good to hear those pages. Luke 23, 50. Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. 
He had not consented to their decision indeed. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever been lain before. That day was the preparation and the Sabbath drew near. And the women who'd come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again? And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself the things which, uh, marveling to himself at what had happened. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. So it was, while they conversed in reason, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk in are sad? Then one of those, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and have you not known the things which happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our own rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they'd already seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things which concern himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, 
Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. He went in to stay with them. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. And they told all the things that had happened on the road, and how he had appeared, uh, and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they'd seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate in their presence. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. Can you handle John? John nineteen thirty eight. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one has yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews preparation day 
for the tomb was nearby. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. Thanks, buddy. And we do not know where they have laid him. Peter, therefore, went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen clothes lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again into their own homes. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they've laid him. Now, when she'd said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, you can't make this stuff up, said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabbi, which is to say teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. You'll make me dirty. No, for I've not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she'd seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. When he'd said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the father sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit, or maybe it was more, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we've seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see his in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands 
and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we're going with you also. They went out, immediately got in the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the other, on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Oh gosh, so they cast. And now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of the fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and he plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, about 200 cubits, dragging the net with the fish. Then, as soon as they'd come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you've just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Knowing it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they'd eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And we had spoken this. He said to him, follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrayed you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that his disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. 
And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. 14 verses in the book of Acts. Big easy. Could you turn the thermostat up a degree? Help all the ladies out here a little bit. I hear the murmuring going on. You think I think it's the kids whispering to daddy that, you know, the differences in the scripture, but it's so cold in here. <laughs> Acts 1.1, the former account I made, this is written by Luke, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Acts 1.4, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart for Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they'd come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they'd entered they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. Amen. Good reading, guys. Good job, kids. Sticking with me. Now, reading these different accounts is kind of like opening up five different newspapers and reading the same account of the Moab, mother of all bombs, dropping in Afghanistan this week. You're going to read different accounts, different perspectives. It's from different authors, some of them written from different times and different places, different people writing from different perspectives for different purposes. They had different impacts on their life from the event and have different impressions. They were writing two different people groups for different purposes, emphasizing different aspects. You're going to almost read a different story on CNN.com than you do on FoxNews.com. And yet a lot of the facts are going to be the same. Okay. As you have an understanding of the inspiration and inerrancy of the gospel, these different aspects of different account doesn't shake the inerrancy of the Bible. 
It's kind of like being at the Macy's Day Parade, or let me bring it a little more locally, the Prineville Pet Day Parade, you know. You know, and one guy's, you know, down here by the park, and one guy's over here by the Veterans Club, and, you know, there's five different people scattered along 4th Street. And, and as the parade goes along, you know, you got, you got the dog that, like, you know, injures his leg halfway through. And so all of a sudden, he's got one of those little wheelchair things, you know. And the guy at the beginning might be like, and there was a chihuahua, you know. And then the guy in the middle is like, and the chihuahua had a wheelchair, you know. And then, and then you know, down here, and the chihuahua got picked up by a bald eagle and flown off, you know. And, and there's different perspectives of the same account. Okay, just to give you just a, a brief little elementary understanding of inspiration and inerrancy in this case. But we do see some different accounts, you know, some different things. For instance, in Matthew's gospel, one of the main differences we see is the Jews' account and concern that Jesus might rise again. And so then they had a plot and a conspiracy to cover up. They knew that he had claimed that he would rise from the dead, and so then they very bitterly ask for a way to secure the tomb so the disciples can't come and steal the body and claim Jesus has risen from the dead. And then that deceiver's little plan will be worse than what it was when he was here and we didn't kill him. Now it's curious that the non-believing haters of Jesus anticipated some kind of resurrection event, even if it would only turn out to be a hoax. And the disciples, even though Jesus had told them multiple times that he would rise from the dead, that this weekend would happen, they had no anticipation of it in any way. They were completely caught off guard. They did not believe, even when he appeared to them, they either didn't recognize him thinking that he was a gardener or a fellow traveler, or they imagined they'd seen a ghost. It's a different form of knocking on wood. As we read these different accounts, we've got different numbers of angels at different places outside of the tomb, sitting on a stone, one inside the tomb at the right hand, two inside the tomb, one at the head of the bed, one at the foot of the bed. We've got small, distinct descriptions of the burial detail. We've got Joseph of Arimathea, that he was a disciple, that he was a secret disciple, that he didn't consent to the death of Jesus. We've got John's account that Nicodemus, the one who came in John chapter 3 to Jesus at night and was taught about being born again and entering the kingdom of heaven. He's there in John's gospel. These were the men who removed Jesus from the cross and who buried him. Joseph donating his own rich tomb in a garden nearby the cross. We've got different reactions from the women. By the way, it's a miracle and it just shows the truth of it that in this culture, they would let it be in the story that women were the ones that found Jesus risen. Because to the Jewish people, that's like having just just the most poor, measly, like, oh my gosh, like disregard that evidence. But when it's true, that's what you write. It was the women that found Jesus. And it says in Matthew that they went out from the tomb with fear and great joy. Mark tells us they trembled and they were amazed. Luke tells us they remembered his words. John tells us, Rabbi, we have different orders of the appearances to the women or that where there were two Marys or especially Mary Magdalene. It seemed to be the woman of focus in John's gospel. Luke's account gives us 
the two on the road to Emmaus. And that beautiful story, John's account tells us in chapter 21 about the disciples at Galilee and the fishing story and the miracles of the catch. And Peter, hilariously, not stripping off clothes to go swimming, but putting more clothes on to go swimming. And then getting there at the shore the same time the boat gets there. I mean, this is hilarious stuff. John's gospel tells us of the restoration of Peter and the prophecy of his death. So there are some differences. But as I was on my face in my basement last night, I felt the Lord saying, look at the similarities. Look at the similarities. I remember my biology teacher, an atheist who I would preach the gospel to in class, and he said, the evidence for God is good, but if I believed in a God, I couldn't believe in science. And he would tell me with his missing finger, I want to believe in science. It's from Nacho Libre. Come on, people. Like, you've never seen it. I'm holy. I've never seen Nacho Libre. Yeah, we know the truth. But that teacher, Mr. Scott, would tell me, if I repeat it, it's on the test. If I repeat it, it's on the test. And so let's look at what was repeated among the synoptic gospels. First of all, we have the calendar or the day. When did this take place? Every gospel tells us that it was the first day of the week, very early in the morning, before dark and first light. It's very interesting because once Jesus rose from the dead, even a Jewish culture went from meeting on Saturday as the Sabbath to meeting on Sunday as the Lord's Day. It's all right. We're all cool. We all have the children crying. All week long, it's been my kids. Amen, Lindsay? See Lindsay back there? She's like, oh my gosh. (laughs) It's quite all right. And so we have the day. That's repeated and it's important. As John tells us in Revelation chapter 1, the Lord's day. It's a special day. Here we are on that day, the first day of the week. It's special to us because we celebrate every week the resurrection of Jesus. How many of you were up before first light this morning? Anybody? Did, you, did any of you think about how, as the sun was coming up, this is what it was like? I did. Then Lainey scared me. Is the Easter Bunny here? And I was like, what do we say about the Easter Bunny? Okay. So we have the calendar. Then we have the prophecies. The prophecies were repeated of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Multiple times in the Gospels, the angel at the tomb said, as he said he would. And in Matthew chapter 24, or chapter 28, verse, um, rather, chapter 27, verse 62, you even have the Jews speaking of the prophecies of it. They didn't believe, but they knew the prophecies were there. In verse 63, we remember while he was still alive, How that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise from the dead. Or in Luke 24, 6, he's not here, but he's risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified in the third day, rise again. How many of you have kids and you're like, remember, and they're just like, Huh? What? You? Me? You? Me? Okay. 
My goodness, but luckily he was talking to the women and they remembered his words. You're welcome, you're welcome. We'll expect a little more in the old tithe and offering box today, ladies. Luke chapter 24, verse 25, Jesus says, you foolish ones, the prophets have spoken. The prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and entered into his glory? And then, beginning at Moses, all through the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. There were serious prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. In John chapter 9, for as yet, or not chapter 9, 19, 9, for as yet they did not know the scriptures that he must rise again from the dead. I just want to go through a few of the Old Testament prophecies with you. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we looked at this on Good Friday. It's called the, uh, the Proto-Evangelion, or the first gospel. It's when Adam and Eve and the serpent are being rebuked for the fall and the sin. They've been confronted. And God speaks to the serpent and says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. It's speaking of Jesus. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. I like the NIV. It says, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Satan was crushed at the cross. He will be, be finis, but Jesus was just bruised at the cross. This is actually a prophecy of the resurrection that Jesus wouldn't stay down in the, in the point of TKO. It was just a KO. He will rise from the dead. It's known that that's a prophecy in the gospel of not just the death of Jesus, but also the resurrection. In Genesis chapter 22, the story of Abraham and Isaac going up to Mount Moriah and Abraham offering Isaac up, this is what's called a type or a picture of Jesus. And in it, we see a type of resurrection in the person of Isaac. You know the story. I don't have time to tell you it, but basically God tells Abraham, Take your son, your only son whom you love, and go to the same mountain that in a couple thousand years, Jesus is going to go. He's going to be my only son who I love, and he's going to carry the wood on his back up the mountain, and he will be offered as a sacrifice. But in Genesis 22, as Abraham is about to strike Isaac, Isaac says, hey, wait a minute here. We've got the, uh, we've got the fire, and we've got the altar, and we've got the wood, but where's the lamb? And Abraham says, my son, God will provide himself the lamb. And as Abraham rises his hand to strike, an angel says, stop. All right, you've passed the test. And then over there in the thicket, a ram was caught in the bushes. Now Hebrews chapter 11 verse 17 tells us it was by faith that Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac and he would receive the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he was also receiving him in a figurative sense. So there at the altar, in a figurative way, Isaac was raised from the dead. He was basically dead. You're dead. 
It's a picture of Jesus in so many ways. That's what's called a type. Okay? But then we have in the Psalms, Psalm 2-7. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And then in Psalm 16-9. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Now those two Psalms will later be preached by Peter on the day of Pentecost. Or I'm sorry, it's not Peter, it's uh, Paul. In Acts chapter 13, I think it's in Lystra, it says that, verse uh, 33 of Acts 13, God has fulfilled this for us, their children, and that he has raised up Jesus As it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I've begotten you, and that he's raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David, that's in Isaiah. And then in verse 35, therefore he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, he ended up falling asleep. He was buried with his fathers. He saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. That's a whole lot of preaching of the resurrection in the book of Acts. Go back to the psalm, Psalm 22, which is called the Psalm of the Cross, You've got 30 different quotes and points that point to Jesus on the cross. A thousand years before a cross was even invented. And lo and behold, in the psalm of the cross, what do you have at the end of the psalm? A resurrection. In Psalm 22, 25, my praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. That is a psalm and a prophecy of the resurrection of Jesus. Go to the 40s, Psalm 40 verse 1. It's a great song. We sing it today. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of the horrible pit out of the miry clay and set my feet upon the rock and established my steps. He's put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. It's a prophecy of the resurrection. Isaiah 53, 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He's put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. A few more prophecies. Job 14, 14. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my hard service, I will wait till my change comes. Job 19, again, 25. For I know that my Redeemer lives and he shall stand at last on the earth. After my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I will see God. You guys like the story of Jonah, right? Did you know that Jonah in the belly of the whale is a picture of Jesus rising from the dead? 
Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And Jesus says in Matthew 19, uh, 12, 39, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Hosea 6.2, after two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up. Zechariah 12.10, a prophecy of the second coming. I will pour on the house of David, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieves for him as one grieves for his firstborn. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, right after Peter tells Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and from the third uh, and be raised on the third day. Okay, thanks for bearing with me. Hey, you know, in Luke's gospel, chapter 24, when Jesus just did that, it says their hearts burned within them. Come on. Nobody? That's some prophecy. Those are proofs that Jesus is who he said he is. And those are things that are repeated in each gospel account, like he said he was going to do. Not only do we have the prophecies in the gospels, but we have the unbelief called out. Matthew's account of the resurrection, then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountains which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, <clears throat> but some doubted. You guys do your doubting. A lot of you actually have it on already, so that's good. Do your doubting face. I mean, you're there with Jesus. He's risen from the dead, but you're kind of like, hmm. I mean, how do you pretend? You're like, You know, that's going on here, okay? Mark tells us, Mary went and told those who'd been with him as they mourned and wept. 1611, and when she heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, or when, he, when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. How do you, I mean, he's alive, I saw him, and what did they do? They're just like, eh. Wait rude give her a chance after that he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went in the country and they went and told it to the rest but they did not believe them either again get on with you you know like two guys come and say and they just give them the cold shoulder mark 16 14 later he appeared to the 11 as they sat at the table and what did he do? He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. 
And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. As we're here this Easter Sunday, and we have read five different accounts of the resurrection. Do you believe? And I just would ask you in the rest of this sermon, I want you to ask the Lord if he buys it. Do you buy it that I believe? Because probably almost everyone would say, I believe. Not everyone. But most of you, you're here for some reason because you believe. You believe that, that he says he rose from the dead. You believe that this says he rose from the dead. But I think that the Lord would perhaps bring some correction to you today. Rebuking unbelief. Correcting hardness of heart. Hebrews says, Beware lest there be in any one of you a wicked heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. See, unbelief isn't just just going to kind of be quiet about it and no one's going to know. I mean, I'm not going to just openly be like, I reject the resurrection of Jesus Christ and all he claims to be and all he calls me to do. Some of you do that. Some people do that, but most don't. Most in this room would just be silent and just keep living life, not making waves. But Jesus would say that is an evil heart. It's an evil heart of unbelief because they did not believe. He says in Mark's gospel there that if you believe, you'll be saved. But if you do not believe, you'll be condemned. Belief equals salvation. Not believing equals condemnation, damnation, hellfire, judgment, the wrath of God being poured out upon you, separation from him and all things good for all eternity. You'll finally get what you want, which is no God. Congratulations. It's hell. The worst day here on earth is still a taste of heaven because the spirit of God is here. Because he is giving common grace and he is still causing the sun to rise on the just and the unjust. So thank God. Because there will be a day when that will be no longer. And you will be separated and it will be too late. You won't be able to say, boy, I was wrong. Redo, 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 no redo. Forever. And by his mercy, he has brought you to this place today to read four eyewitness accounts of people who saw him rise from the dead to validate, vindicate himself that he truly is God. He is worthy of your life, your praise, your adoration, everything that you have. Give it all to him. He's worth it. There's a cost here. It's going to be painful, but it's totally worth it for everlasting life. Be thankful you've heard this today. 
It might be your last time. Luke's gospel, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, all these women, they went and they told the apostles and their words seemed to them like idle tales and they did not believe them. You know, many of you come to Calvary Chapel week after week after week and sermons are preached and sermon, the word of God is brought and is brought and is brought. I brought it. He brought it. It's been brought. But for you, do these words just seem like idle tales? Oh, bother. Nonsense is what it means. Like, come on, get on. Come on, come on. Heard it, heard it. That's idle tales to you. And maybe for you, some of you, since your youth, it's been nothing but idle tales to you. It seemed like nothing but idle tales. And in verse 25 of Luke chapter 24, he says to them, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Later on in Luke 24, the two on the road to Damascus came and they told all that Jesus had did. He told about himself. They told about him breaking bread and they were like, that reminds me of the Last Supper. It's totally Jesus. But verse 37 says, as Jesus showed up and said peace to them, they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he says to them, why do you doubt? Why do doubts arise in your heart. Even in Luke's gospel again, he shows his hands and his feet and while they still did not believe, but this time it's kind of a cool unbelief if there is such a thing. Luke 24, 40. They still did not believe for joy and marveling. This is more of a, I can't believe it. It's a different kind of can't believing it, okay? John's gospel tells us the other disciple who came to the tomb first, he went in also and he saw, and when he saw the empty tomb, he believed. And then in John 19, 24, now Thomas, or it's actually 20, 24. I think I'm writing the wrong scriptures if they're not lining up there. Sorry, everything's about the crucifixion that is on John there. Got to fire the tech guy around here. Thomas, you remember Thomas? Like for the rest of eternity, he's got that nickname. What is it? Oh man, you just can't live some things down. Unlike me, everything goes away. (laughs) Except for driving four-wheelers into garage doors and leaving my wife's suitcase out of town. But other than that, you guys bring it up all the time. Thomas called the twin. Do you remember when he said, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I won't believe? That is some stubborn doubting. Eight days go by, and Jesus shows up again, and he says, peace to you. And then he says, hey, doubting Thomas, come here. (laughs) Doubting Thomas. Hey, you guys, use that. (laughs) Okay. So they start calling him Doubting Thomas. And he comes over, and he says, Reach your finger in here. Look at my hands. Reach your hand here. Put it into my side. I don't know how far into it he went. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It was into. 
That was for the kids, sorry. <laughs> Put it into my side and do not be unbelieving, but believing. And I think that is the word for today. Don't be unbelieving, but believing. Repent of a wicked heart of unbelief. Every time we sin, every time we rebel, every time we trespass, every time we choose the juicy, delicious fruit rather than the precious precepts of God, we don't believe the precepts of God. We doubt, we are wicked in our heart, and we rebel, and we do this. You name your sin, all one or two of them, and at the root of them, you will find a wicked heart of doubting Thomas. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas just has this wonderful reaction. My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Russell Recently, we've just had a, a, a revival of just a, a heart to just remember the Lord's Day and just try to be intentional on Sundays to just keep it holy and just be very extra specially intentional about Sunday. And just, you know, if we, if we watch TV or something like that, we're just, we're really, you know, it's like not even Thomas the Train or something like that. What are we going to do? Let's just keep pointing ourselves to Jesus. Just keep pointing ourselves to Jesus and just a, an extra concentrated emphasized form. And so we, I was napping, which is very holy. <laughs> and Russell's like, hey, what, what, what can I do, dad? I mean, we're shifting like our life up here. What can I do? And I said, why don't you watch the Bible on Netflix? And so he goes on there. He like watches the whole series. He's just like, did you know this? Did you know this? Did you know this? I'm like, test it, brother, test it. But you know, and, but he talks about this and he rewinds it and he goes, look at this, look at this. And there's the risen Jesus, and he's got doubting Thomas, and, and the hands, and the holes, and the side, and all of that stuff. And then he says, blessed, or rather, Thomas, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, and yes, be yet believe. And Russell pauses it, and he goes, Dad, that's us. <laughs> Guys, that's us. It's a little bit easier to have Jesus standing in front of you and is like, squish it in there. It's like, oh, it's like, yeah. But when it's like 2,000 years ago and all you got is like your pastor like went over there on United flying coach, you know, and he's got his cell phone and his fingers halfway in the frame and he's like, look guys, it's empty, <laughs> you know, and you're like, hmm. I'll just take the Bible's word for it. Blessed are those who haven't seen and yet believe. Former professor of history at Rugby and Oxford University, his name's Thomas Arnold. He's one of, known to be one of the world's greatest historians. Listen to what he wrote. He wrote, The evidence for our Lord's life and death and the resurrection may be and often has been shown to be satisfactory. It is good according to the common rules for distinguishing good evidence from bad. 
thousands and ten thousands of persons have gone through it piece by piece as carefully as every judge summing up an important case. I myself have done it many times over, not to persuade others, but to satisfy myself. I've been used for many years to study the history of other times and to examine and weigh the evidence of those who've written about them. And I know of no one fact in the history of humankind which is better proved by fuller evidence than the great sign that God has given us that Christ died and rose again from the dead. You have your evidence. There is evidence. There are many genius men who actually sought out to disprove Christianity forever and just set Christians straight, and they come away writing another book called Who Moved the Stone? Leon Morris. Because they said, you know what? I've come to the exact opposite conclusion. Jesus really did rise from the dead. He really is God. Now I can give you evidence after evidence after evidence. But unless the Lord touch your heart and call you this morning, unless you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, right when Lazarus died, Mary was mad at Jesus because he didn't get home in time to heal Lazarus, so he's there dead. She's frustrated with him, and Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's what Jesus says. He said to Mary, do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe. I believe. You guys, belief is so important. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved, Paul tells us in Romans. The four different gospels, actually five with Acts, all give us a commission to go and preach the gospel. But I want to close today with the the gospel's accounts that have a call to be baptized. Matthew tells us in the Great Commission passage, chapter 28, he says, baptize the disciples in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Mark tells us in chapter 16, verse 15, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Now, this is an interesting passage. People often read the first half and say, see, you must be baptized in order to be saved. But we know from the whole of Scripture that it's not works that save us. Not by external works of righteousness. Mark goes on to tell us that the root cause of salvation is belief. If there's no belief, then there's condemnation. Now, those who believe should be baptized. The apostles just, why would you separate it? Jesus had told us to get baptized. And if you believe Jesus, why wouldn't you get baptized? He who believes and is baptized will be saved. 
Now, Luke tells us in his commission passage that repentance and remission of sins, Luke 24, 47, repentance and remission or forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. What's that got to do with baptism? Well, on the day of Pentecost, Peter goes and preaches repentance and forgiveness of sins. And what does he include in that message? Well, when he was preaching, it says that the people were cut to the heart and they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter says to them, repent, which means turn from your sins, change your mind about what you're doing, change your mind. Right now, change your mind. Turn and be baptized. Because baptism is an outward sign that your mind has been changed. When you go to the water, you're telling the world, hey, just so you know, I was my own man. I was living for myself. I'm going the other way. I'm going the way of Jesus where he says, die to self. If you want to be my disciple, then you've got to go to the cross. And so I'm coming to the waters. I'm coming to the cross and I'm going to get buried today. I'm dead. I'm not living for myself anymore. I'm done with that. I'm so dead, you can bury me. That's kind of the stick a fork in me thing. It's you can bury me. And so you get buried. There's an old joke that the longer you're held under the water, the more sin you've got in your life. I think I had like a four-minute baptism. No, really, I was under for a while. We have pictures of it. It was a hilarious practical joke in the Jordan River. Anyways. But then just as I was buried, I've been resurrected to new life. It's all a picture of joining in with Jesus, that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and I'm uniting myself with him in that. Jesus was buried, and my old man, old Rory, and all of his lustful, sinful, rebellious, wicked, covetous ways are buried with him. But just as Jesus didn't stay dead in the ground, he rose from the dead. Romans tells us, so too shall we be raised to newness of life. And so Peter says, if you want to be saved, if you want to be uh, you know, repentant, come and show, show it by baptism. And so, let every one of you be baptized. Let, Peter says it. Roaring, you're kind of getting spit. Peter said, let every one of you be baptized. And then it says, for the remission of sins. Remember how Luke's gospel, the commission said, go and preach repentance and remission of sins. While Peter's preaching, preaching, he says, go get baptized for the remission of sins. And what it means is, go get baptized to show you have forgiveness of sins. That when everyone sees you, they go, I know what you did. And you can be like, yeah, you know, but it's gone. Get your last look at it. (laughs) Washed. But then Peter goes on to say, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And as the worship team comes up, it's interesting that the five resurrection accounts all tell of the deep need for the Holy Spirit. John tells us 
that he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And it was there that because the, the propitiation and the payment for their sins had been made, it was now possible for them to be born again. The disciples right there received the Holy Spirit. They were new creations and had the indwelling of the Spirit. But then Luke tells us that he says, now go tarry in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. So the disciples went and Acts chapter 1 tells us in verse 4, he commanded them, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me, John truly baptized with water. In other places, it says that that water baptism is a baptism of repentance. But in Acts 1, he says, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then a few verses down in Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, and to the ends of the earth. And so today, as I just bowed myself before the word of God, the Lord is calling to us today that there are some here that here on this precious Lord's day, the resurrection day, there are some who've been unbelieving and God is calling you out of that darkness and into the marvelous, marvelous light of believing. You've read the accounts God's word says it, that settles it. The Bible says it. He's risen from the dead. As you've turned from a wicked heart of unbelief, four different resurrection accounts tell us it's time to be baptized. It's time to be baptized. Well, I mean, that just seems pretty ridiculous. It's 2017, we're in Prineville, you know, I wore like, you know, look at what I've got on here. It's time to be baptized. Jesus says it, that settles it. God's calling you if you are a Christian, if you have repented from your sins, if you have repented from an evil heart of unbelief, that might be today for the first time, or it might be, it was 10 years ago for some of you, and you've still never been baptized. Are you going to go through this Easter Sunday in your fancy pastel blue and yellow Easter shirt? With a rebellious heart of unbelief saying, I'm still not getting baptized. You can forget it. I'm not getting wet for you. That's a wicked heart of unbelief. And you have a wonderful description in the book of Acts chapter 8 where the Ethiopian eunuch hears about Jesus and says, as they're trotting along a road, hey, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Well, you've got your Easter stuff on. You don't read that for a lot of different reasons. But he says, Philip says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And so the issue here today is, hey, it's settled. Jesus has risen from the dead. There's no doubt in my mind. Scientists and scholars have proved that there's an empty tomb in Jerusalem and there's proof that he has risen from the dead. Now what's not settled is, do you believe? Has that been settled? Have the accounts in heaven been settled? Jesus has made payment for your sin. Do you receive that gift of God unto everlasting life? Turn to the Lord today in repentance and in a humble heart of reception. 
And with arms outstretched, receive the gift of salvation, that your sins can be washed away because of the blood of Jesus washing you clean. The blood that was shed, we celebrated it two days ago on Good Friday, three days ago, however you want to count it out. Forgiveness of sins. Has that been settled for you? In legal terms, it's justification. In the courtroom of heaven, you as an accused sinner, has the judge slammed his gavel down and looked at you through the body of Jesus and said, I see no sin, you're innocent. Now go your way and sin no more. Has that been settled? Today is the day of salvation. Today is a day of settling for you. And if it's been settled, even if today's that day, a glorious day that would be, have you shown it? Have you shown it? And as you're showing it, and if you've shown it, and if you will show it, would you believe me that there's another baptism available for you today? Another wonderful baptism, though not of water, Jesus says it's with fire. The fire of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. On this Easter Sunday, he wants to come upon you. Not for weird and wacky stuff, but for boldness to preach the gospel in this community. To be a witness in the languages, even to be a martyr. Prineville, in Prineville, or in Crook County, or to the uttermost parts of the world. We position ourselves today. As we close in song, we're going to have some of the elders up and the core group leaders just kind of up over here by the communion table. And today, if you just, you know that this has been a word for you and you, it needs to be settled and you just want someone to pray with you and to just help lead you to the throne of God, to Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. We're going to be available right here to pray with you. And then maybe you'll go from that place now that you've received and believed and been justified by the blood of Jesus and have had your sins washed away. You might as well take the short trot on over to this side of the room and get baptized for the remission of sins to show that you've been forgiven, to show the world. Some of you today, the Lord has put his finger on your heart and said, you've never been baptized. Are you going to rebel against me? You're missing out on major blessings in your life because of a heart of unbelief. Today, I want to free you from that. Just come with me. Come, come with me to the water and be baptized. And some, you've been baptized and you believe Hey, maybe you've even been baptized with the Holy Spirit before. But the language in the book of Acts is continually filled, overflowing with the living water of the Holy Spirit. And you're just a bit like a dry sponge right now. There's no passion for Jesus in your life. Reading the word is dry. Praying, you've got a cotton mouth. And you just want more. You want more of the Holy Spirit. You can come to the elders and the core group leaders and receive prayer today as well. 
We're going to have just a few more minutes of responding to the word of God. A glorious time of baptisms and repentance and prayer with one another. Adam, if we go through the loop, just go back through the songs again, man. And let's pray together. Why don't you uh, elders and core group leaders come on up. Lord, we just, Lord, we've been fasting and praying for this day, Lord, that you would draw people to hear the marvelous story. As John says, I wrote these things down so that you might hear and that you might believe and that by believing you might have life in his name. And we just pray, Lord, that you would just grant to Prineville Calvary Chapel and all who are in it today the gift of believing. Grant to us repentance. Grant, grant to us just a move of your spirit here this morning so that your name could be known and magnified in Prineville, God. Soften hearts, Lord. I know even now, there are hearts that are hard towards you. There are hearts that this seems like nonsense. And Lord, it just grieves me and I'm just so, just so broken hearted that those hard hearts will find themselves in hell one day unless they repent, unless they believe on you. And Lord, just right now, we just all pray as a church together that you would just soften that heart, Lord, and let them see that in you there's life. They've been living their whole life where there's no life. Let them see life today. You are the resurrection and the life. And if anyone would believe in you, even if they die, they'll live. Lord, help them to believe that today. Lord, as we gather at the waters of baptism, Lord, there's so many even Christians who've just years have put it off, waiting for the right person to do it, waiting for mom and dad to be there with the video camera, waiting for the temperature to be right in the room, waiting for they didn't do their wake makeup so good that day. Whatever it is, that's just ridiculous, Lord. Here is water. What hinders you from being baptized? I pray no one would shoot the lip out at you today in rebellion, but that all would come in obedience to the waters. Lord, we position ourselves as we have all week in fasting for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit afresh. And Lord, we just pray that, that you would meet our people here as we gather in the name of Jesus today. And as we go to the waters of baptism and as you come forward to respond, just on my face, there were, there were two words. I, I said, Lord, I'm not going to move. It's 1230. I'm not going to move till you give me words for the people. And I felt like one of the words for today was, when Jesus saw Mary Magdalene and she didn't even know it was him. And he said, Mary. And then she knew it was him. That's a word today for you. You don't know. You don't know what's going on right now. You don't know who Jesus is. You don't know it's him. And right now he knows your name. And he's saying it with an exclamation point at the end. He's saying your name. Hear it. Another word is what he said to Peter at the end of the Gospel of John. He says it two times. He says, follow me. And then when Peter's kind of, what about them? Or what about them? And come on now, what about you? And Jesus says, don't worry about them. He says, you follow me. And that's a word for you today. Follow me. You follow me. And the last word is, 
Some of you have been baptized here at this church. You've been baptized on days of just wonderful days where there's baptism and tears and the weather was perfect and the birds were chirping. And, and yet, the Lord would say today, remember your baptism. Remember your baptism. It was a baptism of repentance. It was a baptism that showed that you had been forgiven of your sins. It was a baptism where you had let go of control of your life. And the Lord would say to you today, have you gone back like Peter? He's looking at you right now and he's saying, follow me. You follow me. Let's stand together. We're going to close in this song. These are all words, some for all of us, some for specific ones of us. Come up, get prayer. Come up, come to the waters of baptism. We're waiting for you through these songs. We've got towels. We have a joke. I asked people to bring towels on Facebook and it accidentally said, can some people being towels? <laughs> and so if we run out of towels, we're going to have people being towels. They're going to be hugging you and soaking up the moisture. Let's close in worship today. Let's magnify his name. He's alive. He's not dead. There's no, there's no Palestinian grave with a body in it. I've been there. And so let's not sing like we've got a dead Lord today. He ain't dead. He's alive. He's in our midst. Lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. Let's worship like he's here. Amen? Let's worship him. <laughs>